0: This morning, you know, Christmas, just the cold Christmas season. It's a, it's often a time where we reflect back. Uh, we we think back of all these wonderful Christmases that we've had that we've had with our family. We we reflect back on these good memories, hopefully good memories, uh, wonderful times of the past. And I was looking a little bit in our church history, and 56 years ago, the dates align with 2021. Fifty-six years ago in 1965, our church was celebrating the Christmas season in a similar fashion. And on this day in 1965, would you believe that we had almost 300 people in Sunday school in 1965 in December? I think we could get back to that. What do you think? We were, guess what, preparing for a Christmas cantata with our choir. Uh, In that cantata, our very own, I don't know where she went, but Miss Judy Wilson was singing in that, along with Sybil Parsons. Miss Darla Carter was in the back working in the nursery, or wherever it was then. And our then-pastor, M.A. Reese, shared what he called a prayer for Christmas. It was a prayer prayed by Peter Marshall, chaplain of the U.S. Senate. And the prayer said this. said, Thou hast said, Father... That it is more blessed to give than to receive. Give us grace today to think not of what we can get, but what we can give, that a new spirit may come into our work with a new vision and new purpose that Thou will delight to bless. Make our people everywhere in our land to share the good things they enjoy, lest in our selfishness our food should choke us, and in our indifference our blessings shall turn to ashes. Help us to give according to our income, lest thou, O God, make our income according to our gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought that was a pretty good prayer. That's all right. But it's amazing to look back and see how, just how much things have changed, right? But at the same time, how many things are still the same? Uh, unfortunately, for many of our, as you, most of you know, many of our uh, friends in western Kentucky... We'll be celebrating Christmas a little differently this year. Um, What can we do? Uh, I came from there early this morning. And it's hard to imagine two weeks before Christmas... Not just losing your stuff, your home. But losing a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter. And a lot of our, our brothers and sisters out in Mayfield, Princeton, Benton, uh, that area this year, that's what they're, they're up against. So we do need to pray for them. We're also going to be gathering <clears throat> some items uh, we're going to send a load of stuff out there on Wednesday. So if, you, if there's anything, we've got some stuff, I think, in the care center. We're going to try and send that way. Uh, but, but you think, what would you need in the middle of winter if you had nothing left? And folks have nothing. So they need clothes. They need cases of water. The KBC's recommending gift cards to fast food, to Lowe's, to places like that, that we can give to local pastors and just help get resources out uh, Toys. A lot of folks had Christmas presents under the tree, and it's all gone. So, anything that you can do to to help in that regard, bring it by the church office. We'll pile it up, and we'll send a load out to Western Kentucky on Wednesday. But let's let's take just a moment before we uh, feed ourselves on God's word this morning. Let's take a moment and pray for all of those that have been affected. By these storms. <clears throat> Father, we thank you, God, for blessing us so greatly. God, we thank you for uh, this incredible season that we celebrate the most precious gift that's ever been given. God, in your, your graciousness and your generosity, you, you not only give us things for this life, but you gave us your very own son, Lord. God, sometimes things happen as we sang about these, these storms, not only literal storms, but the storms of life that's hard to understand, but Lord, we know that there's still peace in the middle of these storms. Father, our hearts break for our fellow Kentuckians that are dealing with such heavy loss God, sometimes the work seems overwhelming. Sometimes we don't know where to begin to even try to help other than to pray. But we know, Lord, that your spirit is greater than anything that we could give. So, Lord, we ask that you bring the peace that the Bible says surpasses all understanding. God, we pray that you give them strength. For many, Lord, for hundreds, the Christmas season will never be the same. And so, Lord, as we work through our hurt, help us to see the good of this season, and that good is Jesus, and to keep our eyes on Him, we ask this, Lord, in His name, and everybody said, Alright, last week we looked back into the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And we focused in on just a few of those prophecies that, that looked forward to Jesus, that foretold of His birth and His coming. And we discussed this anticipation that God's people down through the ages had for the coming Messiah. This week, we are going to jump to the New Testament book of Matthew. If you'd like to turn there, it will be in Matthew chapter 1. It's the first gospel of the New Testament. And in this passage of Scripture this morning, we see the fulfillment of all of those promises that we talked about last week. Matthew begins his gospel with a lineage, with a long list of names. It goes through basically the family history of Jesus, all the way back to Father Abraham. And what we realize is that this longing for the Christ, for the Messiah goes back to nearly the very beginning, like we talked about last week. And it's almost, when you read through these names, is, is, and I would not dare read those in front of you because I can barely pronounce half of them. But when you read through these, what you realize is it's almost like every generation was looking, was searching, was hoping that, that maybe the Messiah would, would come. All the way through the ages, we see pictures of Christ from Isaac, Abraham's son, who, who, who was a sacrificial lamb, to David, the warrior king. But then we come to this point in history and in the Bible where everything culminates in this incredible event, this precious moment in history that we're talking about this morning, where all the prophecies, where all the years longing and, and waiting and anticipating for God's Messiah, they all come to a close. And Matthew tells us this in chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Matthew says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant. And give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel. Which is translated God is with us. When Joseph woke up he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her. But he did not have sexual relations with her. Until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. The angels as you all know the story by heart. The angels sang as Luke tells us about. Heaven rejoiced men. Shepherds, wise men were all in awe of what God was doing and what was taking place in this this little corner of the world. In these these lowly circumstances, is the very Son of God was born, and as the hope of the ages was was fulfilled, all the prophecies come to an end and come to a culminating point in history. There's so much that we could talk about. And we're going to talk more about these things in the next couple of weeks, but this morning. Matthew gives us, in the middle of everything that's going on around us, four hopes surrounding Christ's birth. The first is, we have hope in God's provision. Verses 18 and 19. When God the Father planned... Think about this. When he planned how to bring his son into the world, he, he determined every aspect about his birth and his life right down to the smallest detail. And He hand-selects this, this virtuous girl named Mary. And he picks the man. That Think about the responsibility here. God picks the man that would raise and care for his son, Joseph of Nazareth. And on the outside to us, Joseph looks like a very unlikely character. Out of the many millions that God could have chosen throughout history, throughout the world, even at this time, He picks Joseph to care for, to raise, to nurture his son, and to care for the mother of his son. You know, really, we don't know a lot about him, but Joseph had to be a remarkable man. Matthew says he was a righteous man, or a just man. And I think God the Father knew that the Jewish law, the Old Testament law, at this time, taken in its strictest form could result not only in the disgrace of Mary, but potentially even the death of Mary along with this child. The Jewish marriage system in this day, we've got to understand, a little different than ours. This betrothal period, or what we would probably consider the engagement period, was a very serious thing. It would last up to about a year most of the time. And it was nearly as binding as marriage. The only way that you got out of a betrothal or an engagement like this was through divorce or marriage. And so when it was discovered that Mary was pregnant, Joseph considers his options. And I think, as Matthew says, as a righteous man, Joseph wanted to honor God's law. But Joseph was also a compassionate man. And he didn't want to disgrace or harm Mary in the process. And so he determined, I believe, that his character and his conscience could be remained intact if he divorced her secretly, which was permitted by the law. And so what we see is God providing everything that was needed for the birth of his son to happen the way that he wanted it to happen, that it needed to happen. Any other man, any other Jewish man, may have allowed the courts to literally stone Mary to death for her perceived adultery, but not Joseph. Joseph was, I believe, just as chosen in this matter, in, in Jesus' birth, as Mary was. God has always been providing salvation for His people. God throughout history has always been providing a way out, a gracious way out for His people. In the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, it was who? It was God Himself who covered up their sin and their shame. It was God that gave Noah the instructions to build the ark and God Himself who shut the door on the ark. It was God who fought for Israel when Israel was outnumbered in conquering the Holy Land. It was God that delivered Daniel from the lion's den. It was God who delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. It was God that provided the sacrificial lamb when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain. And here God provides everything that's necessary for the birth of Jesus to take place just as he planned it to do, to be And just as the prophets foretold. But not only do we see God's provision, we see God's purpose. Notice, as Joseph intends to take himself out of this situation through divorce, God sends an angel. He provides a messenger to Joseph to... Change his mind. I think God knew that Joseph wouldn't act rashly when Mary became pregnant. But he also wanted Joseph to be involved in Jesus' life, in Mary's life. And again, what, what an honor, what an incredible responsibility that God would say, this man's good enough to raise my son. And so God gives this task to Joseph, not to an influential rabbi of the day, not to somebody that's prominent like Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea, but to Joseph the carpenter. And God, through this angel, gives Joseph the two purposes in all this. First, he tells him, go and marry Mary. And he gives the reason. He says, because the child in her is conceived from the Holy Spirit. This child did not come from another man, Joseph. And the language used here is really its amazing how God works all throughout the ages. The language used here for the work of the Holy Spirit is reflective of the language used in creation when the bible says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and and the spirit was doing what the spirit of god hovered over those waters and god spoke and he said let there be light and there was light and now miraculously the holy spirit as the angel says gives life where there was no life the holy spirit brings into existence from heaven the light of the world without the help of a human father. Then the angel gives a second purpose. He gives the reason for the child's existence in the first place. He says, you're to name this child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This name Jesus that we sing about, what a beautiful name. Well done. It's the Greek form of the old Hebrew name Joshua. That's a pretty good name. It literally means Yahweh or God is my salvation. If you didn't know, my first name is actually Joshua. Easton's first name is actually Joshua. If my son Easton knows what's good for him and he has a son, his name will be Joshua. (laughs) But in Jesus' day, this was a very common, for, for good reason, a very common name for young Jewish boys. But when Jesus took this name, when God gave him this name, this name become anything but common. As we said, this would become the name that would be above every other name. The earthly name of God's Son and a reminder of His purpose that He was coming to bring salvation to mankind from their sins. This is the first mention of sin in the New Testament. And the word that Matthew uses here literally means to miss the mark, to aim at something and miss it, to fail to keep God's standard and the law. And so we're reminded that it's only through this child, that it's through Jesus that we can be saved and delivered from our sins. As the Apostle Peter would later say, there is salvation in no other, for there is no other name under heaven or given to men by which we must be saved. And with this purpose in mind, Joseph is moved to action and we see the hope of God's promise. Matthew tells us very clearly that all of this, the miraculous conception, the birth of God's son, whose name would be Jesus. It's all fulfillment of all these prophecies, some of the ones that we talked about last week, which were foretold hundreds and hundreds of years before all the events of Matthew's gospel ever took place. It's interesting that the one thing that people want to attack more than anything else about Jesus is his birth. Even more than the resurrection, the virgin birth causes people some serious problems. And throughout history, especially recent history, many have argued uh, that the language doesn't necessarily indicate a virgin birth. They, they argue against the, even the, the possibility of this, but it's clear what Matthew's saying here. It's clear what the prophets were saying. Again, more than the miracles, more than the resurrection, many scholars, liberal theologians, many critics of the Bible have tried to discredit and disprove the virgin birth. It's what R.C. Sproul calls an exegesis of despair because the gospel clearly teaches us this was a virgin birth. And, And why does it even matter? Why do we care so much? Besides, the Bible says so. Here's what one commentator tells us. John Phillips says, If Jesus was not virgin born, that means he had a human father. And if he had a human father, then he certainly was not God. And if he was not God, then the Bible is false. Jesus himself was deluded, and we have no adequate Savior from sin. If Jesus was not God manifest in the flesh, the life that was surrendered on the cross was only a human life and could never take away the sin of the world. As man, he could only have given a life for a life. But as God, he laid down an infinite life that was more than sufficient to redeem any number of finite lives. Again, when God makes a promise, when Isaiah said 700 years before Jesus was born, that he would be born of a virgin. When God makes a promise, God keeps it, and it's going to happen. And God promised all the way back in Genesis, like we said last week, that he was going to send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. And that's exactly what he did. And he promised to do that by having him be born of a virgin. And that's what God did. And Matthew includes from Isaiah not only the virgin birth, But that he'll not only be called Jesus, the one that saves us from our sins, but that he'll be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God in the flesh, born of a virgin to take away the sins of the world. And that's where Matthew kind of leaves us in this story. The hope of God's provision, the hope of his purpose, the hope of his promise. But I think more importantly, the hope of God's presence. Matthew tells us that Joseph woke up and being of the character and the faith that Joseph was, he didn't hesitate or delay to obey what the messenger told him, what the angel told him. He took Mary as his wife and in spite of this crazy situation that they were in, can you even imagine today if this happened? In spite of all of this, he loved her and he cared for her and he loved and he cared for God's Son, And the Bible says that after Jesus was born, Joseph did what was asked of him, and he named him Jesus. Ultimately, God named him Jesus and entrusted Joseph to father him, to teach him, to raise him into the man that would save us from our sins. But on that night in Bethlehem, something remarkable happened. It may have seemed like an ordinary birth. I think if we could talk to Mary about... The details, besides shepherds and angels singing, just a baby. He was probably cold. He was probably hungry. The Son of God was wrapped up in what was available at the time and place and laid in a simple manger for a crib. But this was anything but ordinary, folks. Emmanuel was here. God was finally present with man. No more wandering in the wilderness. No more waiting in anticipation. He was here. Physically, the very presence of God Himself had come from heaven to earth. And because of that, here's the greatest hope, I think, of Christmas. His presence is still here. Today here in the middle of the storm and picking up our lives he's here he's still bringing joy he's still bringing peace he's still bringing hope he's still changing hearts and lives Jesus is still saving his people from their sins stand together as we close in prayer Father, we again thank you. Thank you that we can celebrate not only the gift of our Savior, not only his birth and his life and death and what you did for us, but thank you that we can celebrate right here today in your presence that we have a risen Savior. Father we worship you this morning we lift high the name that is above every other name today and we thank you for sending Jesus for us to save us as the Bible says from our sins and Lord if there's someone here today that doesn't know what that feels like that doesn't have salvation that doesn't know Jesus Lord I pray that today they would And Lord, I pray that for the rest of us that are Christians, that we would take the hope, we would take the light that's in us. And over this Christmas season, we would help light up this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we sing this morning. If you need to come and pray, if you want to come to the altar in prayer, if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'd be more than honored. If there's a decision that you'd like to share with your church family, why don't you come? As we sing Silent Night. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the court square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at First underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page. First Baptist Barberville.